Culture Affidavit, episode 148, Deja Vu. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, I have an interview with the author of two books called Danger Peak and his latest Deja Vu. Uh, He's a good friend of mine from way back in college, uh, Michael Thomas Perrone. And he sat down with me to talk about his books and his writing and his inspiration behind it. And really, I'm just going to get right to it. So without commercial interruption, right on the other side of this musical interlude, you'll hear my one hour or so interview with Mike. Hope you enjoy it. My guest with me for this episode is the author of two books, the first one being Danger Peak, the other one that which has just come out called Deja Vu. Um, his author bio, which I absolutely love, and I'm going to read this to introduce him off the back of Deja Vu, is Michael Thomas Perrone is an award-winning author who has written for the Baltimore Sun, Baltimore City Paper, Long Island Voice, which was a spinoff of the Village Voice, Yahoo and What Culture, among others. His debut novel danger peak was called quote the perfect teenage boy crusade by publishers weekly and a compelling building stroman as i usually will say it on my other podcast about grief and finding wisdom by kirkish reviews if in nothing else he learned what the word building building stroman and i butchered that from the from the experience uh, he works as a senior editor in manhattan and lives on long island with his wife and two daughters and i do have to say he is also a veteran of the Loyola College Greyhound, which we were both editors back in the late 90s. Um, I'm sure that neither of us remembers a damn thing. Please welcome to the show, Michael Thomas Perrone. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah. Uh, I was saying right before we started recording that I remember the last time I saw you. I don't know if you remember it, uh, and you can cut this out if you want, <laughs> but it was graduation day. Uh, and I had, I just picked up my diploma and I was, you know, with my cap and gown, I was walking down the aisle and I was actually kind of depressed and I was thinking, man, this is it. Like, what do I do with my life now? I didn't, <laughs> didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have anything going and have any leads. And I'm like this, you know, cause my whole life, you know, since I was four years old, I was going to school. And now it's a kind of mm-hmm. like a now what moment I was feeling very down, very melancholy. And all of a sudden someone starts singing behind me. And I'm like, who the heck, who's that? And I turn around and it's you and you're going, we're gonna make it. After all. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. And I just wanted to thank you. I don't think I ever thanked you. Thank you for that laugh because I really needed it. I was so depressed and I needed that, you know, uplifting uh, moment. And and that was literally the last time I saw it. And you, you know, we, we shared a, a, a quick moment and left. And then we went our separate ways. But yeah. sure, you know, Pantery and Perron alphabetically they're close together so it makes sense you were behind me oh, I, was in, I was behind you we were close to each other somehow yeah yeah well I did not remember that at all yeah and we've known each other for um 
Uh, did I know you ninety five? I mean, I ent- we entered in ninety five. Yeah, we entered ninety five. I think I think we probably we may have crossed paths because a couple of the people that um you were roommates with or were friends with intersection through like I don't know activities. It's a small college. Yeah, it's a small, we, Loyal Loyola Maryland was is not a big college. It's like a big um, but we uh um but we uh we both were uh, writers and then staff editors on the college newspaper, the Greyhound, yeah. and that's how. So I'm waiting um, for my checks. <laughs> yeah, so you talk to Liz about that. Um, oh, you... <laughs> so, so uh, but yeah, so you um, you've had a you've had a pretty long career so far as a writer and editor since graduating uh, college, but only recently you've written two novels that are um, well. Building Strumman is essentially a, ger- a very long and complicated sounding word for I the mean, coming of age novel. Yeah, it's a it's so. it's a joke, but not because I really did not know what that word meant, and I thought mm-hmm. it was bad because you know it's. I mean, it was Kirkus who's some. Re- now I'm reading back my own. Book. Yeah, Kirkus yeah, Kirkus pans they, everything, so they, I wouldn't that's be surprised. What I was saying, like, and you know, they were surprisingly most. I mean, they weren't 100 percent positive. I'm not gonna lie, but they were mostly positive. So, so but when they I got to that sentence, I'm like, uh oh. So, you know, and I looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it just means a work of art that has to do with the, you know, you know, this, with the, yeah. you know, the, the coming of age genre, whether it's a painting or a poem or a novel. So I'm like, all right. And I don't even know how to pronounce it. You pronounce it better than I know. I don't know probably. <laughs> I, 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 I um, and I first learned it a, probably about seven or eight years ago when I first started teaching AP literature and it was in a writing prompt that I was using in class. I was like, oh. I'm like, have I heard of this word before? It's so like one of those German words like Schadenfreude. It's like, oh, I yeah. learned a new word today. Farfignugen to yeah. <laughs> to to bust out a reference from the 80s and 90s, and which is appropriate considering um, the both books do take place in those that late 80s, early 1990s period. That was our error. Yeah, it was. So we were, and um, I think are all the characters in junior high school in both Danger Peak and Danger View. Danger View. I'm trying to remember if the Danger Peak characters the, were. Danger Peak. They, it's in junior high. Yeah. And Danger View. They is is about the transition from elementary school to uh, junior high, which can be quite traumatic. <laughs> it yes. was for me. I, that was the whole reason why I wrote it. And I kind of warned people: don't expect Danger Peak two. This is not Danger Peak two. It doesn't move as mm-hmm. quickly. It's a lot darker and. You know, it's 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 kind of like the dark side of, of Danger Peak. Like Danger, Danger Peak is kind of like, you know, during the quote unquote good times, like in elementary school when mm-hmm. you know, I was going on adventures with my friends on bikes. They weren't motorbikes. You know, I, I made a motorbike to be more entertaining for the reader. They were just mm-hmm. bicycles. And obviously there wasn't a supernatural mountain. But, you know, we, we went we got in trouble and you know, not as much trouble as the kids do in Danger Peak. But we had a great time. And then after that. <laughs> For me, anyway, you know, entering junior high, that's when things went to hell. And that's when mm-hmm. the friendship started separating. And I, and I came up with this uh, this metaphor, this idea for these deja vu visions, you know, seeing these repeated visions. Um, I, I guess we'll get into that later when you yeah. go into the plot of the book. Uh, yeah. And basically, I mean, the whole thing for me, and when I and I hesitate, and I've gotten into trouble with this before, like when I say, <laughs> oh, it's a metaphor. It was like, oh, so it's not really happening. It's like, no, it is. In, in the book Deja Vu, it is happening to Bobby. Like, these, it's not you know mm-hmm. these are these you know otherwise it'd be no book but yeah. for me it's a, a giant metaphor because growing up it's like people around you seem to be changing your family seems strange to you you're like a, do i belong in this family you know your friends start drifting away you yourself are becoming a different person you're going through puberty so you know it, it's like everyone's becoming a different person but in my book the people in bobby's life are literally becoming different people you know mm-hmm. that's the whole metaphor so that's how i came up with the idea for that yeah so um i guess to, to kind of 
uh, bring it back to kind of the beginning of, of yeah. all this and then we'll we'll talk about both books um with like you said danger peak being about a kid named robert who uh basically has a dirt bike and he's yeah. His whole quest in the entire in that entire book is that he wants to scale a nearby mountain called Danger Peak. Yeah, it's got, it has a supernatural quality to it. His brother had died on the mountain, and over the course of the novel, we get flashbacks to that. Yeah. Um, and deja vu. I'll, I'll get into the plot in a minute, but before we get to all that, like so, um, we have been like I said, we uh, we both went to college together. We we both grew up on Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> as you well your accent i noticed yeah you're a true virginian now yeah Be so water. yeah <laughs> water. um so uh so it's been you know you published danger peak in what 2022 was last year yes yeah, so yeah. it was the summer of 2022 yeah so so between graduating and then like what um what led to you did you always have this idea to write this book um, or did like how, what, where did, where did these two books or this idea to write these coming of age books, especially for an audience um, that I would say is probably around the age of the characters or like, you know, that um, like that they would really, really relate to um, like, where did, where did that come from over the last 20, 25 years or so? I mean, I, these, both of these books are based on short stories I wrote when I was a kid and as a kid, I had the foresight to write down good ideas when I had them because I knew I wasn't going to have them forever. I knew, you know, even then, eventually I'd be a grown, middle-aged, bitter, cynical adult who didn't have any <laughs> ideas coming to him unless he was watching TV. Um, so, but they, the stories were very different. First of all, they were obviously much shorter. They, were, they weren't novels. They were short yeah. stories. And the stories weren't exactly the same, but it was the same themes and same ideas. And so I always had at least these two in my back pocket. I knew it's like, you know, if nothing else, you know, one of these days I'll write these these books but you know life happens you know yeah. and you know, college and you know, jobs and and then in 2003 my life pretty much imploded and uh in less than a year i lost my job i lost my girlfriend i lost my room and i lost, lost my roommate and i had ended up moving back to long island where I, where I remain ever since uh moving back in with my parents at 26 it wasn't a fun time mm. luckily not my, my parents still anymore so you don't have to worry about it. my mom walking into the while we're talking here but uh you know, just I was just at a you know complete. At a, I was, I was things were so bad. In fact, you you appreciate this because I think you know this place. I was a, a jan to make money. I was a janitor at Toys R Us in Bayshore, and that's the one I think you wrote a blog about. You that was because that was my Toys R Us, and yeah, I, I that could. That was mine too. I mean, it, we, I yeah. Must I slip? You're saying mm -hmm. we're not that far away. You're twenty minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah, about twenty minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was not a good time. So yeah, I was talking to my. And I've mentioned this in other interviews, like talking to my mom, like, you know, what should I do with my life? And she's like, well, you should probably be a writer. I'm like, nah, nah you know, it's it's such a pretentious thing to say. It's like, I'm a writer. It's like, ah, it's cheesy. I don't want to do that. And she, she reminded me, it's like, Michael, when you were a kid, you would go upstairs in your bedroom and you would write story after story after story. I didn't tell you to do that. Your father didn't tell you to do that. Even your teachers didn't tell you to do that. It's like, you did that on your own. And like, you know what? She's right. It's like, why was I doing that? It's like, I had stories to tell. Um, Again, I wait. You know that was two thousand three. Why? Yeah. So much. Like, so I didn't believe in myself. I didn't. I, I. I liked her words, and I kept, again kept in my back pocket. And then I see now I'm breaking my rule because I said I didn't want to talk about politics, and I'm not going to get into politics. But something you know you could probably guess what it is devastating happened to me. Uh, not to me personally, but in the world of politics. And I said okay. And I really did think the world was going to end. I mean, I know it sounds mm -hmm. like, over dramatic. I remember thinking this is it. Like this. You know, the nukes would come in, we're done. Mm. I said, I better write these, These well, not, not. I wasn't going to plan on writing, writing Deja Vu at this point, but I said, I better write Deja Vu. At the time, it was called uh, Action Bike. It wasn't called 
Didn't you be, I'll get into later why I changed the title, but uh, I was able to write this damn book before it, things go to hell. Uh, and, and I did. And, uh, you know, came out and uh, I wrote the first draft in four months. It was just the first draft, though. It was obviously not, not the final draft. I still sat on it and, you know, I had beta readers, had other people read it. And again, sat on it and took a year before I finally, you know, pushed the button and published the thing. Uh, and the rest is history. But uh, getting back to why I changed the title, uh, I was I was talking to people in the, in the publishing industry, and they're like, uh, "Action bike is way too masculine. It's gonna <laughs> turn off half your audience. You know, they're gonna think <laughs> about gears and and engines. You know, so uh, they wanted to call. I was talking to one agent. He said, "Oh, let's call it the Wild Boars." And I'm like, "The Wild Boars? People are gonna think that's a, a kids book about talking animals in a zoo. I don't want to call it the Wild mm-hmm. Boars because that's the name of the people haven't read the book. It's the name of the club of Robert and his friends. Yeah. Uh, their motorcycle riding club is called the, the Wild." wild boars so i came up with danger because that's the main obstacle of the book is they're trying to build the superpowered motorbike to climb and defeat this supernatural mountain that killed the main character's brother the year before and that's the main <laughs> plot synopsis in one sentence that's my pitch and uh, the yeah. book of the book is what's on top of danger peak there's something special at the top of the final what it is you got to read the book i know you know what it is. yeah 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 but yeah. let's not give away what it is yeah but the, was the uh, action bike because Nintendo has the copyright to excite that's, bike? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's yes, the video absolutely. game you think oh, of absolutely. the minute you see the you look cover. At the cover. I mean, you've seen the cover. It's almost exactly like I mean, the, the excite bike cover. Uh, which yeah. ironically, that's not my original design for, for the cover. The, mm-hmm. the my publishing house actually mocked it up, and they don't didn't even know the origins of the story was uh, part of the inspiration when I was a kid when I went to choice store was partly inspired. By, I don't know if you've done your research, I mentioned this before, but uh, on the, the old school 8-bit Nintendo game, yeah. Excite Bike, And it was one of those programmable games where you can build the course, you can build a mountain, a ramp, and you have your guy go around the course. And one day, I, I built a giant ramp, and it looked like a mountain. And the little motorcycle guy was going up the mountain. I said, well, that's an interesting image. And I thought, well, what would be on top of that mountain? I said, well, what if it's a supernatural mountain? And you know, all of a sudden, yeah. that's, like, that's a good idea for a story. And that's when I started writing the story. I mean, of course, that was 1988, <laughs> 11 years old, and wasn't that good, you know, wasn't very well developed. But that was the, that was the germ of the idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was originally called, you're right, it was originally called Excite Bite, you know, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I quickly learned when I was serious about publishing it, well, that's a, you know, copyrighted by Nintendo. I can't use that. So I changed it to the Action Bike, which is the name of the bike that they, which is the name they give their their superpowered motorbike. And eventually, like I said, the agent said it's too masculine. Change it. I changed the Danger Peak. Yeah. Um, well, so what I found um, really uh, striking about, so, um, I went into Danger Peak thinking, okay, this, you know, kind of the, the plot that you were just describing, but there's also a a, a running subplot about the death of of Robert's brother. Yeah. And you're you're dealing with some heavy grief. Um. I don't know if alcoholism is the right word, but, you know, dad drinks a lot, you know, it's kind of drowning himself. And uh, so there's a heaviness that it reminded me a little bit of uh, like the body stand by me, you know, the, the, the idea that the parents are, <laughs> the parents are like not entirely there, like, you know, or, and there's, there's conflict and tension because the, the older brother had, had died. Um, and I say that as a compliment because it's, you know, that's, that's one of those, I mean, if you want the Classics. podcast to be three hours long, don't get me started on Stand By Me. It's my top. I mean, it's obviously how it, yeah, the yeah, influence I, is obvious. It's yeah. one of my top. I did that episode several years ago. So yeah, I heard it. It was a good one. Yeah. Anything so, Stand By Me related, I'm drawn to. Yeah. Um, but you know, part you know when actually when I wrote the short story of Danger Peak, I hadn't seen 
Stand By Me yet because I wasn't mm-hmm. old enough to. It was an R-rated movie. Uh, and I was only, when I wrote the, the short story, I was only 11 years old. I didn't, believe it or not, I did not see Stand By Me from beginning to end until like the early 2000s. Like oh, I wow. saw bits and pieces on TV. And I kind of, it ruined it for me because I... I saw it on TV. I turned the TV on, and I saw the last scene in the movie. Oh, it just ruined the movie. And I remember thinking, but it, even though I hadn't seen a single, you know, scene before that scene, it still moved me. I'm like, that's a great ending. It's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't realize how good your friends are until you know when you're you're 12. That's it. That's like the closest really you get. And then after that, you know, <laughs> uh, but but like I, um, it's still I consider it a major influence on the book because whenever the book. You know, I had seen the movie by then when I started writing the book version, um, and I wanted, you know, I actually right before I started writing uh, writing the book, I was watching Stand by Me again for like the fifteen thousandth time, and I was like, you know, someone should do, someone should make a Stand by Me that's set in the eighties. Now you're gonna say, Mike, Stand by Me came out in nineteen eighty six, like that is true, but it's not set in the eighties. I think it's set nineteen fifty nine, late fifties, yeah, late sixties. So it's like. You know, the baby boomers got their, you know, nostalgia fest on with that movie. They got their, you know, coming of age, you know, action adventure, mostly adventure story, you know, with, with their time. I, you know, we should have our own, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm not rich and famous. I don't have any Hollywood connections. I don't, you know, own a, a studio. So buy the book, you know, but <laughs> I've had people say that, you know, it's very, even though it's a book, it's very cinematic. And I know it's not another reason why it is, and it's not, you know, pool for an author to say this is that i'm actually i you know watch a lot like i guess most people i watch a lot more movies than i read books i mean i read books Mm -hmm. but i you know i if i have a choice between watching the movie version or reading the book it's like well i'm I'm probably going to you know watch the movie version um but that's why it reads so cinematic but there are things you know it's not just stand by me it's like and and again if you've done your research you 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 probably noticed already Mm -hmm. uh that the brother is not based on even though yes you know the, the brother dies yeah. in stand by me the brother's based on, on my brother he died in 1986 mm-hmm. uh when he was 13 uh, 12 years old uh he's my older brother four years older than me and i i, I make him you know older in the book in danger peak because i always you know like i say he's four years old i always looked at him as, as being like a teenager even though he, he wasn't he never made it to to 13 he never made it to being a teenager um, and that's a setup for my next book. I'll tell you about that later. But, okay. uh, I'm jumping around here. I realize. Um, but I, in my head, he was like 17 cause, cause Danny and, and danger peak, the older brother is 17 years old. That that's how he, he appeared to me. So yeah, it's, it's a mixture of wanting to be an eighties version of stand by me. And, and also my own story of my, the adventures and the times I had my friends running around on our bikes and, 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 and it's, it's secretly a deeply personal family story. I mean, the last name Robert's last name is Kin for a reason. It's 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 really a family story. If the dressing on it to hook people into the story is like, hey, it's exciting action adventure, A's references, and it does have that. You know, I'm not lying. You, yeah. you read the book; it does have. But that's not all it is. I'm not interested in writing a book where that's all it is. You know, that's boring. You know, it's I like you know the level, you know, the different levels. And you mentioned the alcoholism with the father. I and I, it's funny because a lot of people mention this, and I don't really. I don't really see him as being an alcoholic. There's a couple scenes with him drinking, but it's not every scene. Number one, uh, the father, mm-hmm. and and number two, I the main reason why I had him drinking is because I wanted he he is kind of mean <laughs> to mm-hmm. Robert. I wanted like an extra reason for him being. He's like, well, maybe he's not really like this all the time, but he is drinking, so he's going a little off the deep end. I mean, he doesn't go so far as to strike Robert, no. but you know, it's it's it, I wanted to be slightly more realistic for him going, you know, for being this this 
this Kurt with his son. So I, I gave him a beer or two. That that's yeah. The I, story behind that. No, no, and, and and in reading that, it it did not tip over into the cliche that it could be because because it could very well be there's a that's a the particular trope, right? Yeah. And, and um, he does give in. He does give Robert the tools. You know, he, mm-hmm. you know, and and then some people have said, oh, you know, how could a father, you know, not what father did you have you know some yeah. fathers don't want you to touch their stuff you know i had one of those you know so it's it's i didn't think it was that unreal so people oh how could he not share it's like no there are people oh, out there. trust me <laughs> yeah. we we all have those parents um well yeah and then like you said you, there's like we, can, we could probably spend a ton of time just going through every 80s reference that's in the books i mean i think right in the beginning of the book they're flipping through nintendo power and i'm just like oh man i had a subscription to that for years um but it it the 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 depth that you give it makes it something different than kind of those like half ass books that we used to see on the shelves as kids because that was what was considered young adult when we were younger, right? You know, there was yeah. the the sort of you know where it was. There wasn't much to it, so this this gives it that gave it a lot of of substance. And you did kind of, um, you did level it up at least as as far as deja vu is concerned, because there's a lot more pathos. I don't even know if I'm using that term correctly. Um, and, I think it's thematically rich. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a better book. I think they're different. They're hard to compare. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a longer <laughs> book. I don't know if that counts, but it's. Uh, I I shot for the moon on the second. I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got the first one out of the way. Let me try. You know, let me be overly ambitious with the second one. I mean, I might have. You know, and you, people can be the judge. You know, I might have missed the mark. You know, I I wrote the book that I wanted to read, you know, and I realized yeah. it's not going to be for everyone. This is I'll be come right out and say it. This is not as uh, as easy a sell as the first mm-hmm. one. It's not necessarily a quote unquote feel good story, but I think it, it's a compelling story. So I'm going to um, we're we're going to talk about the book. We're not going to spoil the book. We're probably going to yeah. we're going to walk up right to about a certain point. Sure um so that stuff that's on the back cover. yeah so, so i'm the synopsis i'm going to read is actually just yeah. on the back cover of the book and so that way um if you're interested in buying it you know I'll, I'll put links in the show notes and such although it's on amazon i mean you can just pick yeah. pick it up so um here's our synopsis uh 12 year old bobby dalton doesn't want to grow up all his life he has relied on the imaginary games of childhood with his best friends joe and max to get him through the tough times but this all changes when his seventh grade class buries a time capsule to commemorate the end of the 1980s. Now Bobby is seeing visions, doubles of himself, his friends, and others. He calls them deja vu. Are these visions real? Or has his imagination finally gotten away from him? And if they're real, what do they want? Bobby needs to figure this all out to survive his childhood and his life. Uh, from the author of the award-winning Danger Peak, Deja Vu is a darkly funny coming-of-age dramedy. With a sci-fi twist cranked up to 11, but even more, it's at once a pulse-pounding thrill ride and a haunting portrait of a par- of paranoia, mental illness, and the unbearable sadness of growing up. So, so in other words, it's my version of Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> with a supernatural twist. <laughs> um, so the thing that struck me just at first as I was reading through this is the uh you have you have three characters. You really do have four because I'm about, you know, like maybe a quarter of the way through the novel, we get a new character named Derek and Bobby, Joe and Max are, you know, very typical kids for that age. I, I remember, I remember hanging out with kids like that. One of them was, a, one of them is a little bit kind of hip squeaky. Yeah. Um, Bobby gets made fun of a lot because he's, you know, for, for 
for lack of a of a better phrase, he's the fat kid. Um, and uh, and then you have this other kid who sort of weasels his way into their lives. His name is Derek. Yeah. And Derek's that kid, um, and I we I, I we both knew this kid who who's <laughs> this kid. who's like twelve. So, so they're they're in sixth grade going into seventh grade because yeah. I I'm assuming that you went to a junior high like yes. I did before they middle schooled everything up and yeah and so sixth grade was the end of everything yes. you know the big graduation everything and seventh grade is junior high and like yeah. some of the kids at the end of sixth grade were already like they were ready to go they're very <laughs> ready to go um you know and there are various influences for that you know i was talking um yeah i was talking to my friend this back when i was doing the wasted time episode a couple about a couple years ago talking about how um a lot of kids had older brothers and sisters and or, or or friends and things like that and like you know which is why you would have kids in the seventh grade walking around with dead kennedy symbols on their binders and things like that so there were all these those kids who were always just a little weirdly little older at 12 than you were and i'm trying to think of sixth grade i think every once in a while i was playing with the gi joe figures still probably playing way more video games at that point i was playing a lot of nintendo but i still would bust out the gi joes and things like that and and really didn't you know but then we had the kid and 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 derek's kind of a kind of a prick too um and i I liked the dynamic because he he's pulling the two kids away from the two friends away from bobby and there's a point in the novel where like you see that they really are like they really have completely gone over to derek's side and (laughs) yeah and um and I'm reading this and it was, it struck me as so sad. I felt so yes. sad for the kid. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going for. Yeah. But so it's still entertaining and it's still funny. Oh yeah. I don't want people to think this is a, a you know, slog to get through this book. It's, it's, I hope it's not. No, no. It, it, I, it, I tried to, you know, there's some light moments in it, you know, uh, there's some dialogue exchanges in there and obviously <laughs> the pop culture references from the late eighties and early nineties. So I, uh, but Derek, if you want to talk about Derek, he he's based on two things. One, there was a a kid. I think his name was Michael too. My name, uh, in seventh grade, and he came from California, and he was only in school for I think one or two weeks. And it's funny that I still remember him. Um, it's kind of like always. Everyone always, always says. Who would we, you know remember Marty McFly? He was only at that school for one or two weeks. Like, exactly. I, I remember. I remember my my Marty McFly was his name was Michael, and uh, he had a weird walk about it. And we would kind of tease him, and he would call it his California role. And I put that in the book. He he did think he was kind of cooler and cocky than, than everyone else. However, he was nowhere near as bad as the Derek in in this book. If, if I if I wrote him the way he was in real life, it would be a very boring character. And he was mm-hmm. not a bad guy. I mean, we teased him, he teased us back, but he was a decent kid. And then I guess he moved back to California or whatever. I never saw him again. Neither did my friends. But that's the first, that's the superficial level of Derek. But what he's really based on, he's an amalgamation of every single bully I've ever had in my entire life. Like I put it all in there. And and what's what's sneaky about Derek is that he doesn't really start that way. You know, that's how he insinuates himself into the group of three because he's almost jealous of them. 
Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any real friends of his own at the time. And he's new. He's coming from California. He's the cool kid from California. He, you know, he doesn't really know. So he overhears the conversation. That's how he meets, you know, the the three boys. He overhears the conversation in the cafeteria. He kind of takes over. And Joe is just smitten with him. Joe is like, wow, this guy's with it. This guy's cool. And Bobby is like a little bit, you know, nervous. He's a a little bit, you know, reluctant. "Ah." And Joe invites uh, Derek. To Bobby's birthday party, and and Bobby's like, "What? It is my birthday, but you can't invite him to." And that's how it begins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted the feeling of this book to be a very slow motion car crash. And I wanted people, I wanted readers to have that feeling of dread, like they know the car is going to crash before the book ends, and they don't necessarily want it to happen, but they can't look away. You know, it's yeah. it's thrilling in an odd way. It's like, no, the car is going, you know, to hit the other car. It's going over the cliff. And and that that was partly the inspiration for Deja Vu. And uh going I know I'm jumping around a lot, but that's how I talk. Oh, no, it's fine. We were talking about, you know, Stand By Me. Like I said, I can go on for hours literally hours about that movie. I watch it every mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend. It's my Liberty. I know you, you watch Weekend at Bernie's, but I, I watch Stand <laughs> By Me. I, I still remember that that Facebook post. Um but I mean I even wrote a song about Stand By Me. We'll get into that later. But uh my not my favorite part, but one of my favorite parts of the movie Stand by Me Stand By Me is it's off camera. You don't even see it. It's a voiceover by Richard Dreyfus at the very end. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we slowly start gradu- gradually, you know, fading apart as friends. They became another face in the hallway. And I'm thinking, that's the most intro. That's one of the most interesting. But how did that happen? How exactly? Now, that's a whole nother movie, and they don't have time yeah. to squeeze that in. And I understand why they didn't do that. It, it kind of almost ruined the movie. But I wanted to write that movie. I will not movie, but that, that, but that story. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see that story. How exactly does that happen? And every time I write, a story, especially a novel. I've only written to you, but like when I wrote Danger Peak, I always have a question. You know, I when I write a book, I always have a question, and sometimes I know the answer, sometimes I don't. And the question I have at Danger Peak was, what would be on top of a supernatural mountain? And I knew the answer. But Deja Vu, my question was, how exactly does childhood die? And I didn't know the answer, and I didn't think I'd find the answer. I said, well, let me give it a shot. Let me try. And I didn't live anyone else's childhood. I didn't live anyone else's life. So I drew upon my own childhood, my own experiences. And the first half of this book, you know, before the crazy stuff starts happening, Mm -hmm. is the most autobiographical thing I've ever written in my life. Like almost everything that happens, including the skeleton, we talk about that later if you want. That happened to me in real life. All that stuff, the first half of the book, happened to me in real life. And by going back through, you know, journals and diary entries, and just I have a very good memory about that time in my life. I just remember it. I honestly didn't even need the diary entries, but just, you know, plotting it out and outlining it and then writing it chapter by chapter. I kind of can't found the answer. For me personally, I found the how exactly does childhood die? And it's not going to be your answer when I say the answer. And it's not going to be anyone else's answer. And I'm sure people listen to this to me like, well, he's wrong. And that's fine. <laughs> but my answer is how does childhood die? It happens a little bit at a time and then all at once. That's how it happens. One day you're not playing with G.I. Joe's anymore. And another day you're being made fun of for still believing in Santa Claus. And another day your friends are kind of don't want to hang out with you anymore. They don't, they don't show up to your birth. But, and then you wake up and you're like, I, I'm not a kid anymore. How did that happen? You know? And I didn't know that writing the book. And I'm, if nothing else, just like I, I learned the word Bulldog's Roman, however you pronounce that word, yeah. I, I answered my own question. Like this, you know, I wrote the book for myself almost. I mean, Danger Peak, I kind of was trying to win everyone over. Mm-hmm. This one, I'm like, this book is for me. <laughs> this is what, this yeah. is what I want to read. But I, and I noticed the the way that um, you have it's um, <clears throat> like you said before things get 
you know, there's there's little hints that things are not what they seem, even through the first like half of the book, and he's getting these weird. They're to me, they're almost like after images of something, like you know, the the like faint things, or or, or like he sees a sign change and things, and he he has no idea what's going on, and and he he calls them deja vu, um, but the the for that first like half before things do kind of tip into the more sci-fi yeah. um uh, fantastical elements of it it's punctuated by birthday parties and i thought that was a really interesting <laughs> way to show the progression because the first birthday party is basically like at a chuck e cheese yeah, yes. um and then bobby's got this birthday party where like nobody shows up it's, it's at a friendlies and and the, i remember the this the part where he uh he wanted to order off the kids menu and yeah. it was like 12 and under um <laughs> we we've all been to friendlies friendlies is one of those long island and there i know they're all over the country yeah. but it was just one of those like this was the special place to go when you were younger um and then the third one i think is 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 it one of the other guys is parties party. he, that was the yeah. second one the last one mm -hmm. is the friendlies Oh, okay yeah that's a very insightful point because i didn't even think about that tell me you're right it is punctuated by it's like the goalpost by birthday yeah. parties it's the march of time you know and, and yeah. that's something i didn't realize and it's, it's it's the same thing happened with danger people so well did you notice that blah 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 i'm like no i didn't know that's a good point. <laughs> you know you don't realize these things that you're writing them. well and i because I, I noticed the nature of the party kept changing so yes. like with bobby it, yes. it ends up being um very you know close. that really lonely at the end but like with max's birthday it's party it's it's oh, very grown Everyone's yeah everyone's ha having a good time but then what happens at the end of the chat i don't think i'm giving too much away i even put this chapter on my yeah. blog Chuck E. cheese dies yeah it's not just, it's i why did i write that well yeah it's it's funny it is a funny scene it's but freaking it's <laughs> extremely, yeah but it's also extremely symbolic his childhood yeah. is dying that's why i had that happen and also for a third level it's one of the first signs where bobby is realizing that hey there's something not right with this world mm -hmm. and i don't know what it is but that shouldn't have happened. Why did that happen? I mean, we find out later in the book, right? And it's not really related to the sci-fi stuff, but it's just a hint that something's not right this, with this world. And I don't want to get too metaphysical with you, but I've always mm -hmm. had that feeling that something's not right with this world. I've had that feeling since my brother died in 1986. Something's not right. Because if you were to tell me, you know, two days before I found out he died, that, that was gonna, I would I would say, I wouldn't laugh, but I'd be like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever yeah. watched. Because it, aside from me dying, I guess, and aside from my parents dying, that is literally the worst thing that could have happened to me. I was very close to my brother. That's literally the worst thing that could have happened to me. So when I found out that he died, besides being shocked, obviously, the mm -hmm. first thing that came to me, eight years old, I was eight years old, and so were you, I guess, 1986, I think, I thought, Oh no, I'm in hell. I, I, you know, cause you're still eight years old. You're still kind of close to that birth year, you know? Yeah. And I, I know I'm Christian. You're not supposed to believe in, you know, past lives, but I remember thinking, Oh no, I ended up in hell. And I don't, I don't want to be overdramatic. I don't think this is hell, mm -hmm. but it could be hell light. <laughs> it could be diet hell. I, you know, I, I, I do believe that if there is such a thing as hell, and there might not be, and I hope there isn't. There could be way worse, like literally fire and brimstone. You're burning for a long time. That's obviously not this world. There's lots of pleasure in this world. But, you know, that happening to me, the you know, the rug pulling out from under me. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about that question. And that's one of the themes of the book. There's something not right with this world. Now, obviously, the end of the book is fantastic. It's good for my own magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's actually what's happening with the world. But, you know, that that was my play on it. That was yeah. twisting on the theme. Yeah, and that party, it's a very, you know, I, I was never invited to parties in junior high and high school that were like 
beyond like the two or three friends I had. And so I can't relate to going to a actual party party, but um, it seemed to me that sort of the, it's, it's like you're half, you are half there as the sort of everybody's kind of hanging around, listening to music, not playing games, but there's an aspect of it when you're that young, 12, 13 years old, it's almost like you're playing dress up as well. So there, and, and, and there's that. And yeah. I remember, I mean, I started to keep interrupting you, but no, it's okay. such good points. I just want to comment on these points. I remember Max's birthday party, and <clears throat> that's, I think, the believe that, uh, I believe that's the second birthday party in Deja Vu, mm-hmm. is based on, um, he, I don't know if he's going to be listening to us, but it's based on uh, a party I went to uh, my friends. He's mentioned dress up. I remember literally <laughs> my mom putting a nice, snazzy college shirt on. <laughs> I'm like, I would never wear this, and, you know, at school, you know, at home. Why are you doing this? And she was spraying me with, you know, cologne. You have to smell nice with the girl. And I remember going, you know, the, the party actually was, and this is, this is how, you know, how not only say backwards, but how much of a late bloomer I was. Uh, this party was not a uh, 13th birthday party as it is in the book. It was a 16th birthday party, mm-hmm. a sweet 16 birthday party. And I had not listened. I didn't think there was going to be pin the tail on the donkey, but I honestly <laughs> thought there was going to be organized fun at this party. I thought there was going to be a scavenger hunt. I thought there was going to be, you know, maybe not Simon Says, but, you know, a, a video game competition mm-hmm. or a board game competition or organized. Okay, we're going to do this now. Okay, this is over now. And it was not that at all. And I was horrified. I walked in. First of all, I was shocked at how many people were there. There were like 50 people there. I was like, I didn't know my friend knew that many people. And half of them were girls, which terrified me already because I was like, you know, late bloomer and 16. And I was like, okay, what do we do now? I was like, I kept waiting for my friend's mom to be like, like I said, okay, everyone, now we're going to build it. And it's just not, it was just, everyone was awkwardly talking to each other. There was music playing. Some people were dancing. Some people weren't. I tried dancing. I was mocked for, so yeah, it is. It's very autobiographical. Um, I, mean, I exaggerated, obviously, to make it more funny. Oh, yeah. It's like cranked up to 11. That was my, I'm sure you got the, the reference, my this, this yeah. tap reference. Yeah. The other thing in it, too, is, um, and this is important to the actual plot of the book, is the concept of the time capsule. And um, so it was 19, 1989 turning into 1990. And um, a time capsule for the end of the 80s is such a, I don't think we, we might have done one. I just, it's just, it's so, it's so of that time. And so of that elementary school yeah. project and um, you know, uh, at least the history teacher didn't make them look up anything from, we didn't start the fire. Cause that would have been, a total- <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you're right. Yeah. 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 So, and I wonder, so, I'm sorry. I, I just realized. I wonder if Billy Joel purposely released that song, like because it's probably. the end of the deck. It's going to the '90s. I never realized that. Yeah. So the other thing, though, is so he they bury a bunch of stuff for you know that represents the school in the '80s into the time capsule that they bury at the school, and then Bobby gets the idea partially because he real he start he does realize that things are ending. He wants to preserve something about that. He has Max and, and Joe create their own time capsule. And they bury it, but basically bury it like in his backyard. Yeah. Um, and they put in, I know that like an action figure and a, and a couple of, couple of other things and stuff. And that it's kind of one of the crux points of the book because it keeps coming back to this and it keeps coming to this. And the, like the very, very beginning of the novel is them digging um I believe it's like it's them digging something. We don't know what it is. 
and uh and and he keeps seeing some of those those visions of those things aside from the obvious like end of the 80s this is a great school project thing like where where did you think that where did you come up with this whole thing of a a time capsule and how that factors into what the book is about well like i said the first half of the book is extremely autobiographical i actually did it i actually buried a time capsule with my two best friends at the time we didn't have a school time capsule that i made up for the book we didn't we never did that for junior high uh, elementary school but we just decided, I don't know, I think it was my idea. It was a silly, stupid idea. It's like, hey, let's bury time casting. I think we read about it somewhere in a book and said, like, let's do our own. So we did that. Um, I think I put, at the time, I wanted to be a cartoonist. So I buried uh, drawings that I made of my cartoons. Uh, my friend who was at that party I mentioned, he, he buried a, a blanket. Uh, and my other friend, I think, buried a knife and uh, put it in the, in the ground. And the next day I was on the swing set, which also makes an appearance in the book <laughs> of my friends. And we <clears throat> shared, he was lived around the corner from me, our fences, we shared a backyard, we shared a fence. So if you looked over his fence, you could see my backyard. Uh, so we were on the swings now swinging so high that I could see my backyard. And I said, Hey, look uh, to my friend, you know, I can see where we buried the time capsule yesterday. He's like, oh, and I was like, and I don't know why I said this. I was like, imagine it's funny if he was still out there burying it. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, just burying it over and over again. Like we, he's like, we're stuck in time burying this time capsule over and over again. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was like, that's a good idea for a story. And that's when I wrote the short story version of Deja View Down. <clears throat> but originally, like, it was this one. This the short story <clears throat> was much more different from the novel than the short story for Danger Peak was for the novel version of Danger Peak. Because originally Deja View was like a slasher story. It was like, mm. you know, it was actually more like Final Destination, where if you saw the repeated visions, it means you were going to die. And I wrote this in 1990. So it was like years before Final Destination came out. So when, I, when that movie came out, I was kind of pissed. But, <clears throat> but I knew I didn't want it to be that. It was bloody. It was more silly, over the top. And I didn't want that. Uh, so I took out all the extra, you know, the murder and then the death. I mean, there's this. You know, there's some violence at the end of the book, I'm sure, because you've read the book, you know that, but it's it's not over the top. It's not like you die when you see the, the, the visions. <clears throat> but, excuse me. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, I thought the idea of the time capsule ties into the whole theme about growing up and saying goodbye to the 80s, saying goodbye to that decade that this kid cherished so much because he doesn't want to grow up. That's his whole character. He's his, you know, Peter Pan, you know, again, you know, loosely based mm-hmm. on me. Uh, and... Yeah, I guess that's my answer. That's my long-winded answer. Yeah, well, the, the concept of for the original short story and, and quite a bit of the novel is very Twilight Zone in a sense, yes. right? You know that yeah, there. I wanted this story to have a very Twilight Zone ending. It's it's, it's an ending where <laughs> it's it's kind of it's this is how I you know differentiate between my first book and my second book. My first book, the main character wants something, uh, and he gets it, and it's more or less considered a good thing. In this book, my main character wants something, and he gets it. But it's not a good thing, and I didn't even realize that writing it. When I was writing the book, and let's not give away what it is. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you read the book. You know what it is. When I was writing the book, I thought what Bobby wanted was a good thing, and then when I got to the ending, especially with other characters I'm introducing, I'm like, no, what he wants is not natural. What he wants is a bad thing. It's it's not good. But I gave it to him anyway because I wanted the Twilight Zone ending. Yeah, and and him being the kid of the group factors in very very much to to what he's seeing and it's a really as as it goes like it, it could only be him who is seeing these weird weird things and and trying to figure it out because 
he's still the one that plays imagination games or the haunted mansion board game and and the, you know he's still he's still interested in these things and and um you know you're you know as you discuss this like going on the swings it's like things like that still exist when you get older than 13 like into 16 and 17 but for some reason you interact with them differently i i remember i remember a couple of like let's go to the park and sit on the swings and eventually make out type of thing uh, when I was with a girl like when i was a, I know, probably I by the time i was a senior because i really didn't really didn't date anybody until i was a senior so um but like it's it, 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 but we don't get that far ahead because we're still we're still at the beginning stages of it um but it but you you catch little glimpses of that as you go along um and yeah this this whole this whole thing of of something not being right and you and 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 you hold that off quite a bit um as as you go th- as you go through it to build them up and you take four kids who really could be like you said you know every bully you've ever met or or the 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 could be these stereotypes of a of a movie that we would have watched over and over again like stand by me or the goonies or um Classic. you know all these you know there's and i'm sure there's like three or four that were like the b the b level movies that we rented because there was nothing else explorers. there explorers <laughs> i, I uh, um i uh when i did my cold war series i looked at the movie ruskies yeah and then if oh, love, it was it peter billingsley from christmas story yes and oh, um and joaquin phoenix yeah yeah. yeah and then there was uh last year i was on a episode of another show called the forgotten film cast talking about the movie the rescue which was like it's like a, a bunch of military brats their parents all get like their dads get our navy seals who get captured in north korea and it's up to them to get them out of north korea skippy handelman plays one of the kids so it's it's um yeah it's 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 a man movie but it's like you know but like but there were all those there were a lot of kid adventure movies in the 80s and something i've always noticed about them as opposed to now and maybe this is my my generational old man yelling at a cloud (laughs) kissing and moaning the way kids started to be written, I think, as you went into the 90s, especially the mid to late 90s, was they were like way too smart for their age. You had smart ass characters in those kid movies. You had the Corey Feldman played like half of them. But they were trying to write kids as if they were kids yeah yeah and as you get into the late 90s the kids get more precocious and everything becomes because everything got way more self-aware and and stuff like that and 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 yeah yeah or or it follows that sort of scream i know what you did best of like meta textual thing where everybody's kind of like winking at the camera and 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 yeah and and so and granted, I stopped watching a lot of these movies, you know, because I was, you know, I outgrew them. And and I I I languished in the John Hughes era for way too long into my 20s. But um, but the, the, these these older movies, like that's the feel I got from these characters that they seemed very like they again, they were some of them were trying to be older, but none of them. They, they seemed like what you would be like, actually, at that age, as opposed to. Um, you know, the 12 year old genius 
tech kid, you know, like the or the or the or the 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 twelve year old with the adult dialogue, which um, which if that were the case, probably would have been interesting to explore because why is he like that? Is he you know is there something about his family? And I think it's Bobby's mom is a single parent too. Um, yeah. If I'm remembering it correctly, yeah, I just did. You know, that was my lazy way of getting rid of the dad. I mean, he's necessarily a, a bad guy, but I just like, you know, there's too much for me. I like simplifying things. There's too much already going on in the book with all the themes and all the characters in this book than my first book. And I'm never going to be one of those genius writers who can write a thousand page book that has hundreds of characters. I'm never going to do this. My books are simple, you know, six, seven main characters in that. <laughs> so I said, this. The, the dad was important in Danger Peak. He's kind of a major character. You know, there's an amic there with, with Robert. You know, there's a tension there. That's important to the story. You know, uh, Danny, you know, was his favorite son. You know, he's the one he really wanted and mm-hmm. he's the one who passes away. Here, the I knew the father was a, a non-starter. He's not important to start. I just wrote him out of the story. I just got rid of him. He's only mentioned a few times of how just, they got divorced. So, yeah, she's a, she's yeah. a single parent. Yeah, and 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 it's important to note this spoils nothing. There is no sort of like dad comes along at the end type of thing. Because sometimes those He's gone. <laughs> sometimes those movies Eve just oh I'm your father like you know and not in an Empire Strikes Back way, but there is a sort of like you know thing. It's almost very ET with um with you know where D Wallace is like and and is really holding on as best she can, but Bobby's mom doesn't smother him holy but she is way more of a particular or way more attentive and way more sympathetic than say uh some of the other parent characters or how uh, you know your mileage varies among our generation but a lot of people in our generation grew up as latchkey kids um i wasn't my dad was always home when i got home from school because he taught high school in north babylon and basically it was like what half an hour difference or whatever yeah um but you know, so a lot of so you have there's a lot of 80s stuff where the the parents aren't around because the parents weren't around for a lot of our generation. But here, but you have, but you did have parents like Bobby's mom who were a little too overprotective. But I thought that was a good way to show also how he's not growing up as fast as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, but the mother is sort of based on my mother but i exaggerate it to be more entertaining i exaggerate her faults uh maybe a, a few of her her positive qualities but she's mostly a good woman she wants mm-hmm. you know she's holding it together she's like you said she's a single mom she wants what's best for bobby she she wants him to grow up you know which is you know he should want to do as well um and you know she's there for him she takes him she you know I mean, I'm not giving away too much, but he eventually does go to see a therapist. She takes him to these therapists trying to find the right one. She wants to know what's wrong with her son. She's, you know, when you start seeing these visions, she's really worried about her sons. You know, she's very, she is overprotective. She wants to, she wants to fix him. She wants to help him. And I do, you know, I, 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 you know, dedicate the book to my mom. I'll read it here. Uh, One of the main reasons why I wanted to dedicate to her is just so I could have this wordplay for mom from your boy who got to grow up. And that works on for me on two levels because you know my brother didn't get to grow up and two this book is all about growing up you know and and not wanting to grow up you know that peter pan quality that you know bobby's afflicted with and and i as well you know ha- having had that um yeah so uh without so i'm trying trying not to get too spoilery because when when it does the therapy is where things do start to take the turn 
Um, and I thought it was a good idea because like therapy was not something that our generation really did as kids or even as teenagers, unless there was something visibly wrong or, or something to the point of like, mom, I'm seeing weird visions. So it tracks with that. It's not like mom, I'm stressed. You know, cause half of us got, half of us got, you walk it off. And <laughs> exactly. it was a the tough eighties. That's one of the things that I, I want to hopefully accomplish with my book is to help, you know, the stigmatize mental health, mental mm-hmm. illness, you know, to, to remove that. It's, thank God it, it, it's already happening. It's, it's been, it's a lot better than it was in the eighties. Um, but that's, you know, I, I, I'll tell you now, I, I did go to a therapist when I was a child, you know, my brother died. That was like a major reason for, for, you know, it wasn't that I'm stressed, you know, it was traumatic. Um, so, you know, one of the therapists, you know, uh, I exaggerated him a lot, <laughs> really a lot. Uh, it, but one of the therapists is based on, on a therapist I had growing up and, uh, I, I, mentioned him in the acknowledgement section i'm so sure you saw that he was kind of like a second father figure you know i don't want to dump on my dad but he just was ill-equipped to do you know he just remembered the silent generation it's like like you said walk it off so you know the therapist i had you know it's one of the first times maybe the first time no i'll say one of the first times i met a man who was in touch with his feelings and in touch with his sensitive side you know because i was taught kind of like be you know like you said well you know don't cry boys don't cry and he was like no it's okay to cry you know and he told me all these things that i didn't know um and there's a scene in the book that happened to me like i said the first time the book is really autobiographical a scene in the first half of the book that happened to me in real life where i don't know why but i was carrying around the business card of my therapist one day and I accidentally dropped it. It fell out of my pocket. And one of my friends grabbed it and saw it. And he went, oh, what's this? And he read it. And he was, oh. And he kind of, he was kind of joking, but kind of not. He was like, oh, Mike's crazy. You know? And because back then, therapists, especially that age, you were considered crazy, you know? Yeah. Now, like I said, thank God it's changed. And, I'm, and like I said, I hope, you know, this helps contribute to the conversation of destigmatizing mental Because, you know, like they say, you know, mental health is is just health <laughs> brain is a pretty big part of your body you know and it needs tender loving care yeah, like, don't don't wait until you're in your early 40s like i did to finally get your ass into therapy it's nothing it's nothing to be ashamed of it isn't so anyone who has it completely together you know? oh god no no they're faking it oh uh, <laughs> so uh so like where do you go from here so you've got these two out i mean deja you just came out i think as of recording this it came out like late october uh, mid october so it's, it's only about a month old um so do you have any other ideas anywhere anything else that you're you're thinking of um are you going to stay with these type of stories do you have something else in uh, mind I'll answer this question, but first I'm going to be a wise ass for a second. And I realize you, yeah. <laughs> and it's a question I get all the time and it's a good question and I'm glad you ask it. And it makes sense that you ask it because you're a podcaster and it's a natural yeah. question to end on. But whenever I get that question, part of me wants to answer, which I will answer the question seriously. But another part of me is like, I just did two novels in two years. That's not enough. You want another one? How many books have you written? And I know you have written a book. But I'm not saying you, but my favorite is the people they're not friends, but friends of friends. I wrote a blog about this. Who, you know, I just uh, was hanging out with my friend's house and I ran into his friends, not my friend. 
right after Deja Vu came out. He said, oh, what you up to, Mike? I said, well, you know, a second book came out. Oh, oh, good. Uh, when's your third one coming out? He's like, first of all, you haven't even read the first one. You definitely haven't read the second one because it just came out. Why do you care about the third one? You're not going to read it. You know, I could come out with 50 books. So what? why did he ask that? Is he interested in my writing? No. If he was interested in my writing, he would you know, bought and read the first two. It's because he's like, big deal. What's next? That's why I'm, I'm being a wise ass. But I'll tell you what's next. No, I'm not. I, I am going. I have an idea for a book. Uh, it's not a novel, but it is fiction. I have all these short stories that I didn't know how to fit or expand into a novel length, but I really like them. And so I'm going to do, I'm working on a book of short stories. So that, that's, that's my serious answer, but I had to get the wise answer out first. Yeah. Uh, the, the deep pull inside joke here is that I need you to make at least one reference to the Debbie Gibson song, Lost in Your Eyes. God, I can't believe you remember that. Oh, Listen, man. You, you, I have, I'm telling you. And sang all her own songs. That's quite a feat, you know, way before Taylor Swift. Anybody who didn't, any anybody who didn't have a crush on Debbie Gibson in the late '80s and early '90s is lying. Um, You had what? (laughs) And I'm gonna get no, not that I get you know hate mail or anything. But this is not the you might catch shit for it. (laughs) Yeah, you get shit for it. Like I, yes, I everyone had a crush on Debbie, but I and maybe you won't believe it. it, For me, it wasn't really about the looks. I mean, she's not ugly, but let's be honest. I think Tiffany was probably more physically attracted than her. (laughs) Attracted to. Her talent. I some of those songs are bangers. I really love those songs. Like they were catchy, you know, they're, they're poppy, and they stick in your head. And she wrote them all. Like if if someone else wrote them, I'd be like, all right. You know, but the fact that to me, I, I'm all about writing. Like that to me really impresses me. The fact that she wrote every single song, she produced most of them and at such a young age. That is what turned me on about that. Because not necessarily because she had blonde hair. You know. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. No. And she was Twenty minutes away from me. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember that stuff from college in the mid-90s. And like I say over and over again on the show, I have to put my keys in the same place every night because then I'm going to not know where the hell they are. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is fun. I'm, I'm glad, you know, it was funny. This this pulls from the, the, the episode I did right before this that came out a few weeks ago was about the big chill. Okay. And we were, uh, my friend Mike Bailey and I were talking about uh, and and toward the end of the conversation, we were like, we were literally like, what does that this movie look like for our generation? And I had asked my wife when she and I sat down and talked Dazed and Confused to it, you know, a couple, few few other episodes ago, and or or what does it look like now and things like that. And, and I've asked the same question about American Graffiti because I covered that. So like, it keeps coming up, but it's just like you. Mike was like, they're never going to make that movie about ours because they're just going to skip us and go right to the millennials because that's what they do. But, but it is, it is cool to see this in a way that feels genuine. um, And is not shoehorning. It feels very lived in, you know, it's not shoehorning in references just because, you know, um, yeah, Hey, it's the eighties kids, you know, and, and, uh, we've all we've all seen we've all we've all seen those um but yeah so the so the book is available just about everywhere um you can obviously order if you want to shop local you could just it's available via ingram so you could just ask your local shopkeeper order the book for me yeah i i always recommend finding your nearest independent bookstore and having them order it for you because you should support your independent bookstore instead of the big a 
Um, <laughs> I visited Little Raccoon Books in Sayville. They just opened, I think, though, like earlier this year. I don't know if you've been there because you haven't been to Long Island. I have not been up to Long Island since last Christmas. So, okay. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I've heard my, my friend was telling me about it. So, yeah. No, down here in Charlottesville, we've got at least one really, really good one and a couple of excellent used bookstores, too. So, um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So, so aside from, aside from buying your books, is there anywhere else in the internet they can find you or your writing or is, or anything else you want to mention? Yeah, I have a website, michaelthomasperone.com. If that's too long for you, it's dangerpeak.com. You can, if you sign up for blog updates on my blog page, I'll email you a free copy of my book lists, life and other unimportant details. It's a collection of my best blogs and published articles of the past 25 years. I think I sent you one. Yes. Last I year. read it all. Uh, one, note, one note I'll make is that, and everyone does, and you, I think you did this too, is that to, for me to get your email address, you can't click. This is something I learned about WordPress that I, you probably know. I think you have WordPress. So I know this, that Every WordPress site, if you go to the bottom right-hand corner, it says click here to follow. I didn't know that. If you do that, I won't get your email address. WordPress will get your email address, but I won't get your email address, so I won't be able to send you the book. In order to get the you have to go to the page, michaelthomasperone.com slash blog, and at the bottom of that page is a box to enter your email address. It'll tell you, here's where you enter your email address to get blog updates and uh, the free book. So there's that on social media, on Facebook, on Michael Thomas Perone, you know, facebook.com slash Michael Thomas Perone. Yeah. Twitter, they still call it that. Twitter slash uh, Danger Peak. I'm not changing it. I was going to change it. I was leaving it as Danger Peak. And I just joined Instagram like one or two months. I don't have that much stuff there. But if you're on Instagram, it's Michael Thomas Burn. All right. And that's it out of me. I'll be next. I'll be around next month for I have no idea what, but it'll probably be something holiday related. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.